everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I get to start the show off with an apology, <laughs> which is always a good start to a show when you start off with an apology. But last week, there was about 15 to 20 seconds of dead air. And I meant to edit it out, and I don't know how I missed it. And I didn't catch it until later. By the time I was already uploading and everything, I'm like, well, I could pull the upload, edit it, re-upload, and I just got lazy. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> like, it just put it out in the wild. It's not like it's 10 minutes. You know, it's like 15 seconds. But obviously, if you listen, you heard it. <laughs> very professional. You know, I'm, I, I'm very high standards of quality here, as you've come to expect from Game Talk Radio and old Greggy's podcast here. But, um, so I'm starting off, I apologize for that 15 seconds. What happened was, right as I started it, this happens all the time. It hasn't happened as much lately, but it happens all the time. I had picked up uh, my my PlayStation or my game of the week, right? I pick it out and I pick up my, my pickup pile, my game of the week, and I'm ready to go. I sit down, I press the record button, and all of a sudden... I don't have my game of the week picked out. So I'm kind of like, oh, uh, here's, I got my game of the week. I got all this stuff. And then I really quickly get up and go pick a game off the shelf that I'm going to talk about is my game of the week. And, you know, again, I, I meant to edit it out. <laughs> so just it just didn't happen. I don't, I, don't, I don't have any explanations for you, okay? Get off, get off my back. I already have explanations for you. I don't know. I don't have any explanations. Just get out of here. Um, so this week, it's already picked out. It's in my hand literally right now. I have my game of the week picked out. I have my pickup pile of the week, which is a paltry four games. Like, how pathetic is that? Only four games this week. It's this disgustingly pathetic pickup pile of the week. Call myself a gamer. Um, oh, you know what? That's a good point, actually. I want to... I'm going I'm to rant about that guy. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to make a segment out of it. I'm just going to rant about this moron. Uh, so, Twitter is what Twitter is. It's fine. <laughs> um... But some guy, I don't even know who he was. Let me see if I can find it. Um, uh, let me see. Let me see if I can find it. Um, uh, uh, maybe I won't be able to find it. I, I came across it. It was whatever. It's. I don't need the actual tweet, but. I'll get rid of that here. So here, so here's what it is, right? I'm, I'm flipping through my timeline. I follow mostly gaming people, you know, talk about game news. Game. That's what I really care about. A little bit of sports in there, a little bit of politics in there, mostly, mostly video game stuff. And someone posts something along the lines of, you know, list how many systems you have. You know, are, are you part of the 10 plus system club? Let's see who the real gamers are out there. The real gamers with 10 plus systems. And I just read stuff like that. And it, it just, makes me want to smash my head into a wall. I get so frustrated with this weird, like, and I don't know if it's like this in other hobbies because I don't have many other hobbies outside of gaming. But I don't understand what it is with this weird sort of hubris bragging, like, I'm I'm a better gamer than you because I have X of X, right? I have, I have 15 video game systems. You only have 10. You know, um, elitist, I guess I would say elitist pricks, I guess I would say. And I know what you're saying. You're like, Greg, it's Twitter, man. Just just they're bragging on social media. That's what you do on social media. You brag about stuff. And I agree. 
I just, it, it'd be different if he said, hey, I've got 10 systems, or who here else has more than 10 systems? Show them off if you got them. That's, I understand that, you know, that's fine to me. But for some reason, it really bothers me when there's like a gear check to see who's a better gamer, right? Like I, I wanted to put a post up and I, I, I've, I've learned, I've mastered the technique of to type something out <laughs> on Twitter and then just delete it and pretend that you sent it, you get the satisfaction of feeling what you said was heard. And then you don't get the negative backlash or the responses and you have to deal with all that stuff. So I, uh, <laughs> I wanted to tweet out something along the lines of, man, I'm so close. I only have nine systems. It really sucks that I'm not a real gamer and then show that I have roughly 2,000 games in my collection, you know, 2,000 games, you know, 10 statues, I don't know, 30 Metal Gear figures, 100 Amiibo, uh, you know, 40 pieces of Metal Gear art from different artists, you know, but what, but I'm not a real gamer, man, you know, I'm not, I'm not the real gamer, I'm, I'm the poser, I'm the fake ass gamer. <laughs> I just, it just, it, it bothers me so much. It's almost like it's a hipster elitist attitude and it bothers me a lot. And this is something that happens a lot in my profession. So people oftentimes it's, it's like the Simpsons, you know, the comic book nerd elitist guy, right? Like you come in there and you don't know what you're talking about. And he's going to look, always look down on you for not knowing, right? That's like a legitimate way people act in who own video game stores too, almost like we're somehow better than other people or we know more about video games than other people because we own a video game store. Like, don't, don't come ask it. And I'm the first to admit, sometimes I want to say that to people because they come in saying some really stupid stuff. And I just want to be like, don't, don't question my knowledge, please on video games. But that's not me going, I know more than you. I'm just saying, don't like, like, don't come into my store and be like, Hey, is Zelda on PlayStation? I'm like, Oh, sorry. You know, Zelda's a Nintendo property. They don't make that from PlayStation. And then be like, Oh, my cousin played it. Like he had it when we were growing up. So I know it exists. And I just want to be like, you asked me about it. So listen to my answer then and trust that I know what I'm talking about. You know? And I even say like, uh, no, I mean, it, it could have been something very similar to Zelda, but it's not Zelda. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm like paraphrasing this hypothetical conversation but i've literally had this conversation with people i've had this conversation of oh you know is can i get mario on xbox I'm like no it's just made by nintendo it's only on nintendo systems well no we we played it over christmas so i know it exists i just haven't seen it anywhere and you're like i, I don't want to tell you you I, I can't you can't okay I can, you can't argue with that i mean they're so convinced it exists so that's fine that's fine uh so i'm not saying that there isn't a time when we are knowledgeable and I would hope a video game store is very knowledgeable, but why do you have to take that knowledge and like twist it into a, like a, a, a hubris of like, like, like an attitude, you know, of I'm better than you. And this whole thing about being a real gamer, like I, I something I have to say too, this is something that's been bothering me for a long time. I actually hate the term gamer. It irritates me, you know, like, like when people walk up, like, Oh, you're a gamer. You play games. Like, well, I play video games. Yeah. But like, is that what a gamer is? Just somebody who plays video games or like, like, do you walk up to people who read books? Like, Oh, do you read books? You're a reader. Are you a, are you a booker? You a booker? Oh man. I love bookers, man. Me and me and some other people were booking last week and man, we were just booking like crazy. Sat around, had some coffee booking, um, hardcore booker, hardcore booker. In fact, I've got an original print of all of Stephen King's original novels. I'm a real booker. I am a real booker. I'm a real reader. How about you? How many do you have? I'm just curious. How many you have? How, how many? How many? How many? How many? How many? How many books you got? 
No? Okay. Okay. Well, that's that's cool. That's cool. You're just getting started off. You're just a casual booker. You're just a casual booker. Casual reader. And actually, casual reading is fine. You hear that all the time. Like, oh, I'm just a casual reader. You know, it's fine. But when you're like, oh, I'm a casual gamer, like, <coughs> a casual gamer. Oh, filthy casuals. That's where the meme came from. Oh, oh man. To be a real to be a real booker. Oh man. Man, I gotta I gotta step my book game up being a booker. But anyway, diatribe aside, I'm just saying I hate the term gamer in general. Now some people I know, uh, Michael Allen specifically, follow him on Twitter if you get a chance. He's he's really smart when it comes to industry stuff. He's a little angry, but he's really smart. And <laughs> sorry, Mike, if you're listening. <laughs> um, but like you know, he, he, he uses the term gamer now as a negative connotation. So when me and him were first interacting, I struggled a little bit with that because I was like, he'd be like, gamers are the problem. That's a hashtag he uses often. And I'm like, well, hold on. It's like, you don't, don't blame the customers for issues, you know, but he's not saying the customers he's using the term gamer as basically what I'm saying, like this elitist kind of under, undereducated elitist who's bragging about their piece of plastic that they love. And so I get the point now, I still don't like even using that term. Plus something that really, really irritates me. For some reason, Jordan asks me about this all the time when we talk about it on the Dropcast. But uh, he'll say something like, why does this offend you so much? And, and it's it's basically like the, the, the gamer, again, I hate that term, but the gamer uh, tropes or the gamer, um, you know, like the, 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 the false beliefs of, of the stereotypes, if you will, of, of what a gamer is. You know, it's like, oh... You know, oh, this guy's living in his mom's basement. He must be, he's a gamer. He lives in his mom's basement. Well, you know, some people enjoy video games, have a productive career, own their own home, have a family or married, have other hobbies, but really like to play video games. You know, and, and, and like people will make fun of playing video games and then plop down in front of Netflix and watch TV for four hours. I'm like, well, if you're going to watch TV for four hours, how's that any different from me playing a video game for four hours? Like, I don't, I don't understand. I really don't understand the difference. Arguably, video games are more interactive. So right okay so anyway i don't know it just frustrates but i saw that tweet i was really really freaking annoyed by that um where you know it was just i'm a real gamer what are you you know are you are, do you like cars you like cars are you a car guy are you a car girl out there are you listening you you car you fan of cars man i'm a, I'm a driver oh i'm a hardcore driver love driving um me and some friends were hanging around just we, we were hanging out you know just driving hardcore drivers yeah not casual drivers not just to get from point a to point b like we we really enjoy driving and whereas hardcore drivers yeah i'm, I'm more of a driver though because my car uh i have 10 cars in the garage um and you only have like two so like you're not as big of a driver as me right that analogy didn't work as well as the book reading one but you get my point right i'll move on because i'm sure you're all like every, i i feel like everyone's fingers are inches from the like the stop button on Spotify or something called they're like getting right next to that like pause button or they're getting up to the little X in the corner of their browser where they're like, oh, Greg's ranting again. Let's just, oh, let's just inch up there. He won't, he won't know if I, he won't know if I don't listen this week. I have metrics. Okay. I know when you don't listen and it hurts. Every single one hurts. Nah, not really, but it's not like I get a million listens a week or anything. So I do notice actually, cause I care. Um, okay, so enough, enough, enough dinking around here. So I've got my game of the week picked out, so no 15-second pause this week. You are welcome. I have my pickup pile of the week up 
paltry four games, but uh, I'm kind of excited. There's some weird stuff in here, though, so I like that. We got two stories we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the mess that is Warcraft 3 Reforged, and then we're going to talk about the wonderful 101 remaster that's coming. It's been kickstarted already. Um, we're going to talk about my problem with that. And then we're going to talk about Warcraft 3. And yeah, and then that's that's it. That's the podcast. We're going to move on. Uh, we're going to... I have to do my taxes this week. Like, I've got them all done. Like, I just have to drop them off. And it's causing me, like, mass levels of anxiety because, like, I don't have certain forms I need yet still. And uh, I have an S-Corp, my business is, so I have to file my taxes by a certain time. And so I'm like, oh, cool. You know, eventually I have to kind of get, you know, these reports in, you know. Um... But anyway, uh, so I got that going on this week, and then uh, I'm hopefully going to get a video up later. I'm gonna, I've am gonna. been playing this. I started to play a little bit just to try it out, but there's this just absolutely clunky, crunchy horror game for PS4 that came out called Dawn of Fear. And it's like a Resident Evil ripoff. It's got like pre-rendered backgrounds and stuff, and it, it, it was 20 bucks, which it should have been 10 probably. Um, it was very crunchy, uh, very glitchy, very buggy, and not it's it's kind of a mess so i'll probably play it and then and then talk badly about it so but anyway um let's get this show on the road talk about warcraft 3 first so first up on the podcast today we're gonna be talking about warcraft 3's remaster and why it's such a huge pile of crap (laughs) and and how blizzard went from taking one of the most beloved games they've ever made and taking a huge steaming dump all over it (laughs) because it's really shouldn't be that difficult so basically it launched last week if i remember correctly i think it was last tuesday last tuesday or wednesday or monday or something i don't know last week sometime i pre-ordered this like six months ago i'm very excited for it. i love warcraft 3 warcraft 3 i've played more than starcraft and starcraft 2 um warcraft 3 i love the campaign i love the story uh, obviously it built everything that became world of warcraft and i loved world of warcraft so like warcraft 3 its characters and its story and the game itself has has a lot of nostalgia for me, but also has a lot. I, I care a lot about it. Um, it was one of the only competitive RTSs I played for a very long time. Um, some friends and I, we used to be in the top 100 in the world for a while in 4v4s. Again, not a big deal uh, now, but it was at the time. Like, this is right, this is before Frozen Throne came out. And, and and so it was, you know, I have a lot of attachment to this game, is, is my point. So hearing about the Reforged remaster you know it makes me i was pretty happy about that actually and they were adding things and they talked about you know they can't do much with animations but they're saying hey we can tweak you know graphics we can make everything look a little sharper we can do some stuff in 4k we can and then they we're going to change cinematics to be more like cinematic we're going to change the levels in the world to look more to to be more in sync with world of warcraft i'm like okay like this is all this all sounds great oh it's 40 bucks okay i mean that's (laughs) a little expensive but i mean okay 40 bucks for a a remaster okay i guess i didn't i didn't love it but i pre-ordered it and i was like you know what i'm gonna play this i was excited to like get into the beta which i didn't even play once and then (laughs) i didn't uh you know and then i was gonna get my brother playing and i thought you know let's build the old team back together man this is gonna be great this is gonna be really fun uh before i even get to play it so i'm gonna fully admit i didn't play my copy yet before i get to play it everything starts coming in the internet and streaming crapping all over it you're like okay uh what's going on what's going on with warcraft 3 man and a lot's been happening from then till now uh so uh basically the game on metacritic right now has under a one out of ten 
Metacritic. Last time I looked, it was 0.5 out of 10. People are arguing that it's getting review bombed, which I guess is probably fair to say, but being review bombed doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't deserve that review. <laughs> and I think it's getting basically what the what they've asked for. So this is the uh, this is the these articles are all over the place, but this is Luke Plunkett's take on it from Kotaku. Um, uh, because they updated it recently to offer instant refunds. And so which is funny because I didn't get an instant refund when I did it. I, when I refunded mine, I had to like explain to a game master why I wanted a refund, which I'm glad they're doing because it, that's, that's awkward. Um, so uh, here's the article anyway. So this is, uh, this is the first one was Warcraft 3 Reforged isn't much of an upgrade. This is Mike Fahey uh, on Wednesday, 1030. The remastered version of Blizzard's real-time strategy classic Warcraft 3 launched yesterday. And while I'm nowhere, as dis- nowhere near as disappointed by the lack of enhancements and upgrades as the folks at the official forums, Warcraft 3 Reforged certainly hasn't impressed me. Warcraft 3 Reforged was meant to be a more ambitious remake of World of War- or Warcraft 3 Reign of Chaos and the Frozen Throne expansion. Blizzard announced the game will f- with features like a revamped user interface, enhanced cutscenes with more dynamic camera angles, and there were plans to record more dialogue and tweak the game's single-player campaigns to bring them more in line with the lore of World of Warcraft, the massively multiplayer follow-up to the RTS series. Next paragraph. Those plans changed. <laughs> that's, that's the understatement of the year. The UI is almost exactly the same between the old and new versions of the game. Some voice lines were tweaked. Warchief, Th- Warchief Thrall calls Grom Hellscream by his last name now for some reason, but there aren't any massive changes. As the more dynamic in-game cutscenes, check out the calling mission shown off when Reforged was announced. So this is really the first one that jumped out. So there's a video here um, of the, uh, the, the two videos side by side. Uh, let me see if I can bring that up here. Cause someone, someone did a really good side by side of this. Okay. So actually this isn't the side by side. Sorry. Excuse me for a second. There's a video. Someone did a video comparing the two, but, um, let's see. Is that uh, this one? Is that this one? We'll find it. Hey, you know what? This, this is what you get with, uh, with old Greggy's podcast. You get a nice, nice mediocre, <laughs> Nice mediocre on the fly. I had it queued up, but as always, you know, you get it queued up and then, and then it just disappears somehow. Um, where is it? Anyway, someone on YouTube, uh, let me bring it up here. Someone had, uh, I want to give credit to the channel anyway, because they should, because whoever put this together is great. So, uh, we have, let's see where it is here. Um, this is the one. So this is all the cinematics. This is uh, Guy Lala. Go sub sub that channel. And so this is um, a comparison of the graphics, the classics and the Reforged. So they basically took like the original ones and they were able to retouch them. These look fantastic. Like these cinematics are, are awesome. And if it was 40 bucks just for a cinematic, I think I'd be okay. Um, but so like, this is all good stuff. This is all good stuff. No problem with this at all. However, I want to, cause this isn't the one I'm looking for either. Like there's a comparison. Where is it here now? Come on. Let's see here. Videos, most recent. Cause I just saw this. This came out like a week ago. Here we go. Okay. This is, this is what I was looking for. Okay, thank you. So this is the this is the BlizzCon. This is what they announced. All right, on the left hand side, this is what they announced. 
And then on the right-hand side is what actually came out. So this is about a year and a few months in between because they announced it at BlizzCon 2018, and this is January 20, about a year and a half, roughly. So there's not really any audio here that, that's worth a mention. But if you look on the left, and obviously podcast listeners know you can't, but on the left, you've got this really cinematic camera. Like, they're bringing it up almost like it's, you know, almost like a, like a movie. It's got dynamic camera angles that are shifting and changing. And then on the right, it's what we actually got, which was basically what we already had, which was just, you know, that typical RTS kind of view and things going on. But, and, and it's, it's not necessarily that the new one isn't good or that what they, it's just that they didn't deliver on what they promised. And I think that's, what's so frustrating here. So if you look on the left, again, you've got this conversation between Uther and Arthas. It's just really dynamic. They're, they're talking to each other and Arthas is pointing at him and he's saying like, you'll, you'll call this town. You'll murder all these civilians because I told you to, and I'm the prince. And Uther's like, I wouldn't follow that rule. Even if you were king and he walks away, Uther, Arthas banishes him. It's like all this stuff in the, and now like what you get is just more of this, like, on the right side, you're getting, instead of this really cinematic view, you're getting the real-time strategy view, like more classic to the original, which, again, is fine if that's what they had said, but that's not what they said. That's not what they said at all. Warcraft 3, they had promised new cutscenes. I mean, because this is, what, what are we paying $40 for, ultimately, is, is my argument, I guess, is what are we paying $40 for if you didn't, all you did was took the original CG that didn't have to be, like, rendered at a, at a lower resolution to fit in the file size you wanted, you just released that as it's full. You touched up a few things, you changed a little bit of dialogue. That's forty bucks now. Warcraft three was only a fifty dollar game, and that came out I don't know how many years ago. It was only a fifty dollar game, and that was the entire game. And this is a this is a, a remaster that is barely doing anything, and you're charging only ten dollars less. If this was a twenty dollar add on for Warcraft three, I wouldn't even be making a video about it. Because it, it's it's fine, it, it, you know, it's it's cost versus what you get is really what this is coming down to. And so anyway, um, everyone's pissed off. Obviously, it's getting review bombed to Metacritic, appropriately so. People feel disappointed because it's not how it should be. And then, so I went to refund my copy of the game because I saw all this stuff. I was reading about. It, I saw the cutscenes. I'm like, you know what? This isn't what I paid forty bucks for. I'll take a refund. Thank you very much. Uh, and I had to go through the whole process and it said, you're not eligible for a refund. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know what would have made me eligible for a refund. I literally never installed it. I never played it. I had no playtime on it. Um, but I wasn't eligible. So I don't know if it's because I pre-ordered it. I wasn't eligible or I, it was only like three or four days after it had officially launched that I tried to refund it. I don't know. I really have no idea why I wasn't eligible for return, but I sent it in and I, I made my complaints known. I told them exactly what I've explained here. You know, I'm not happy with this product. And I think it's, you know, I think charging $40 for this was pretty ridiculous. And a couple days later, I got my refund. Cool. No problem. However, because of all the hubbub, everybody's getting refunds instantly now. So now when we go to the top, we've got uh, normally refunds have to go through a process of actually finding out what was wrong with your purchase and won't apply if you've had the game for a while and been playing it, which I hadn't had either, unless you count owning it for a while as pre-ordering it. Uh, in this case, though, demand has clearly been so great amid growing calls for legal action, class action lawsuits and whatnot, given the discrepancy between what was promised and delivered that players are reporting instant successes with their refund applications. So they're just getting instant refunds now, probably because they, their CS team was getting just bombarded which is really unfortunate. And and early rumors I had heard was that when pre-orders went live, they they grossly underperformed in pre-orders. Now, 
pre-orders, oftentimes in the past, pre-orders are used to gauge interest in something, which isn't necessarily an inaccurate way of looking at things, except the majority of people aren't going to pre-order a digital game. It's just, it's just the average person's not going to do it. If they had, if I think they looked at the pre-order numbers and were like, "Uh oh, we're gonna slash the budget on this. It's gonna be, it's, it's gonna be a failure." And again, this goes back to the thing. Same with World of Warcraft Classic. Like nobody believed that'd be successful. Servers crashing day one, crazy four-hour queue times, all this other nonsense. To me, they ruined that game because I couldn't play it when I wanted to. They didn't get to suck me in because it was ruined during the time that would initially grab me and pull me in. And so why are they so trigger happy to, to assume something's going to be terrible? And so Warcraft 3 launches, Reforge launches, apparently had a slashed budget because of poor pre-orders. Game comes out. Hey, guess what? It sells really well. <laughs> it sells really well. Bunch of people start playing it. And now you have a whole bunch of angry people that really hate it <laughs> because you couldn't put out a great product. Um, so the article goes on to say, Blizzard has responded to fans' disappointment with a lengthy statement that addresses that addresses some, though not some of the more prominent issues, players have had with the game since release. So here is the official reply from Blizzard about Warcraft 3. We've been, uh, quote, we've been following the discussions the past couple of days and want to thank you for your feedback as well as your support. First off, we want to say we're sorry to those who didn't have the experience you wanted, and we'd like to share our plans for what's coming next. Okay, let me just stop it right there. We want to say we're sorry for those of you who didn't have the experience you wanted. Not we're sorry that we delivered to you a bad experience. We're sorry you didn't have a good experience based on your expectations. So basically, it's your fault. As the customer, it's your fault. Now, I, you, if you follow me on Twitter, or if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I am always talking about accountability. And I also talk about ridiculous expectations. People will hype things into the stratosphere, and then when the company releases what they were going to release the whole time, and it's below that expectation, people freak out in the company. Like, wait, like, I guarantee this. The PlayStation 5, okay, is not going to have backwards compatibility through PS1 through PS5. It's only going to do PS4. I, I'm almost positive of that. People have hyped it so badly that they're expecting it to play PlayStation 1 through 5 that if it doesn't, they're going to start saying, Sony Sony sucks. They took away backwards compatibility. No, they didn't. They never said anything about it. But you hyped it. You hyped it way too much. And now that you've hyped it, your expectations are too high and they disappoint. That's not what happened in this case, in my opinion. I didn't hype this in the stratosphere. In fact, I didn't even know when it was coming out. I forgot about it until someone stopped in the store and was like, oh, Warcraft 3 Reforged launched today. I was like, oh, cool. I pre-ordered it. I got to check that out. Got to get that. Um, but that's not, that's the expectation issue is not what happened here. Because all people were expecting was to play the same game they loved, but with some cool updates and tweaks. A remaster, if you will. Maybe a reforged version of the game, if you will. That's not what happened. <laughs> so, so here, uh, let me let me continue on. Sorry, I already got off track with just one paragraph. Quote: There are a few. Uh, there were a few hours during launch day where we experienced server load issues that impacted players' ability to jump right in, and we were able to resolve those later in the day. Separate from that, we've seen community feedback about different aspects of Reforge that we wanted to take some time to address. 
Before we go on, the team is excited that Warcraft 3 Reforged is finally upon us and we're fully committed to supporting this game for a long time to come. The next few patches and updates we'll discuss below are just part of our ongoing plans. This game is an integral part of the Blizzard DNA with a team that loves Warcraft 3 and we're looking forward to pouring our hearts into Reforged and the Warcraft 3 community for a long term. One of the concerns at Reforged that we've seen are the visuals when selecting Classic Mode. We've identified the bug causing the colors and shading to look different from the original Warcraft 3, and we're testing a fix that will be incorporated in a larger patch addressing this issue and others. We expect to release that later this week. The patch will also address many other known issues, such as fixing some portrait animations and audio bugs, implementing some UI fixes, and more. Please keep an eye out for the patch notes for a detailed list of all the bug fixes. So, that's something I have to talk about too. One, one of the things, well, you know what, actually, let me, let me get to it here. Um, I'm going to go on to the next paragraph for it before I go on that, that rant. Uh, another area of concern we're seeing is regarding online features such as leaderboards and clans, which applies to all Warcraft 3 players, including those who haven't purchased Reforged. At BlizzCon, we talked a lot about how the team is actively working on standing up the back end to ensure a smooth transition to this new MMR system, much like we did with StarCraft Remastered. As with the Remastered, these and other features will be included in a major patch for Reforged, which will also address the issue for players of the original game. We'll share release plans as work progresses in the coming weeks. Please be assured that the team is hard at work on standing these features up. Next paragraph, there are some individual concerns that we've seen that we're not currently planning to address and we wanted to give the community a heads up. As of version 1.3 of the original game, we saw very low usage of tournaments and of the Reign of Chaos rule set. So we removed both in mid-2019 in version 1.31, eliminating the maintenance for underused elements that helped us streamline our overall support of the game and focus on areas impacting the most players. That said, we do anticipate that players who prefer Reign of Chaos will find custom games with similar rule sets, which we hope will help satisfy that concern. So what they're saying there is that they removed the ability to play classic Warcraft as like an official part of the game but they're letting the modding community basically make Warcraft three classic versions in playable in like the arcade mode related to that. As we talked about last year at BlizzCon, we did not want the in-game cutscenes to steer too far from the original game. Wait, what? As we talked about last year at BlizzCon. Oh, so in 2019. So after a year after the 2018 reveal, they talked about how they didn't want to steer too far away from the original game. So what we call that in the biz, ladies and gentlemen, is softening the blow. <laughs> so basically, at BlizzCon 2019, they knew those cutscenes were not going to be in the game. They knew there would be an uproar. So they said, well, here, you know, we're going to, this is how they lighten the blow. They start like slowly letting people know that like, oh yeah, you know, this, this isn't going to be really like different. We wanted it to blah, blah, blah. We went a little too, we went a little deeper into the thought process behind that at the show, but the main takeaway is that the campaigns tell one of the classic stories in Warcraft history, and we want to preserve the true spirit of Warcraft 3 and allow players to relive these unforgettable moments as they were, albeit rebuilt with new animations and, a high, and higher fidelity art. So that's the end of that paragraph. So th this is what I was waiting for before I went on that rant I was hinting at earlier. So... They talk about how they're not doing the new cutscenes. We watched the video earlier about how, how they took that back. They didn't want to have these dynamic cutscenes because it took away from the original feel of the game. But they didn't leave the original game as it is. You, you can only, like, and, and there is a workaround, my, is my understanding, but you can only play Warcraft 3 original going through, like, the Reforged launcher. 
And they, they're having issues with the old leaderboards and the old matchmaking system because of them trying to tweak it to be in line with the new game. So you talk about your concern is that you want not to steer too far from the original game, but you essentially took the original game and cut out the legs from under it. So what is it? I know what it is. This is this is BS corporate talk. This is you saying, look, we couldn't get the cutscenes working or they weren't working well or they were messing with it or we didn't have time to finish them. So we took them out. But we're going to say it's because we want to preserve the original game. You know how you preserve the original game? Leave the original game alone. That's how you preserve it. Just leave it alone. And then make Reforged. Now, arguably, they didn't want to split up the 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 player base right because if half the people jump to reforge and half stay on classic you're like we just split our community but if you want to talk about preserving the original game you just leave it alone that's how you do that so anyway on to the next paragraph and final paragraph we know this update doesn't address all questions but we're committed to the development and support of this game we hope you'll keep an eye out for this week's patch and future updates to let us know what you think as we continue fine-tuning things. Until then, thank you as always for your support and passion for Warcraft 3. We appreciate all your feedback. We'll continue to keep the Warcraft 3 community updated on everything we're working on. Sincerely, the Warcraft 3 Reforged team. End quote. End of statement. I think what frustrates me a lot about this too is that this had a beta process. So how did you not know that this stuff wasn't going to work? You know, how, how did you know that all these issues weren't going to crop up how did you again like with the diablo immortal fiasco who at blizzard does not understand their community enough to know what's going to frustrate them now again i i hold i hold accountable the consumer here as well don't push your expectations to ridiculous places and then be disappointed but we're only pushing our expectations where they gave where they told us they would be these are things that these are things that blizzard showed us and said would be in the game and then they aren't or features they said would be there that aren't working that's not us that's not our fault as consumers it's their fault for over promising and under delivering trying to soften the blow at blizzcon last year well don't it's not going to be that different you know because we really wanted to, to preserve the integrity of the original game so we're not making a ton of changes you know i mean we're just but we're still going to charge you 40 bucks <laughs> even though we're not making a bunch of changes anymore this is so short-sighted. This is so. This is such a flub. Another flub for Blizzard. I don't understand. Like that company, as far as we know it, in my opinion, is gone. As more Blizzard top Blizzard people leave and more Activision people kind of take over, like you've seen the shift in what the priorities are at Blizzard. It's not making the best gaming experience for the people playing the game. It's to make as much money as possible, and that's fine. That's what corporations do. I'm not anti-capitalist. I have no problem with companies providing us a cool product to make money. In fact, I think that's what makes the world go round. But there's definitely a different passion there. And there seems to be a lack of understanding from upper management at Blizzard, Activision Blizzard, who, who don't see any of this coming. How, how, do, how did they release this and not expect this? I, you know, I don't, I don't understand who, like, were there developers who were like, if we launch this, it's going to be a problem. And some upper management guys, like, guy or gals, like, hey, man, we got a deadline. You got to release it. You're not going to get any more money to work on it. You got to get some of that money coming in from the people buying it. Well, now you get to watch all the money rolling out from the people returning it. And I wonder, I wonder, I wonder in the long term of things, how much this is going to end up affecting that and seeing how many returns actually came through. And then maybe when the game gets fixed, they'll maybe then they'll release more. But, you know, or, or once the game gets fixed, maybe they'll sell more. I don't know. 
it, it's it's what a what a disappointment massive massive disappointment um and again like i said right at the beginning of the video like this was this was high on my list of of things i wanted to play this year and it just got bumped to top disappointments of the year bar none All right, so next up on the podcast today, we're going to be talking about the Wonderful 101 Kickstarter. So if you don't know, Wonderful 101 is a game made by Platinum Games, and it was originally on the Wii U, which was not a very well-selling console. So the game, even though I thought Wonderful 101 was actually a pretty neat game, was pretty fun, it didn't do well because it was on a system that was kind of doomed. And it's really unfortunate because I like Platinum Games. I like the quality stuff they do. This is the studio that did that does, you know, Bayonetta, Vanquish. They did Metal Gear Rising, Revengeance, Wonderful One. I mean, like everything they do for the most part is top-notch, good quality work. So I'm happy for them. A few weeks ago, Rumbling started coming out saying, "Oh, if people want Wonderful 101 on the Switch, it might happen, but we're not sure. We're going to explore it. Maybe we'll do it. Maybe we won't. I don't know." Okay, they end up not doing it. Until yesterday, when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's announced that they're going to open a Kickstarter to bring Wonderful 101 to the Switch and maybe later onto other systems if certain stretch goals are achieved. Okay, that's pretty cool. That's really cool, actually. I mean, if you want to make a game, I think it's cool that you're putting it in the hands of the fans. However... (laughs) I have a few issues with this Kickstarter and I know that I'm probably gonna get a ton of downvotes on this and it's fine or thumbs down on the YouTube video. It's fine, but try to understand what I'm saying. It's not that I'm saying platinum games shouldn't use Kickstarter, but there are issues with Kickstarter in general that I have and issues with how this Kickstarter has been handled. And that's what I want to talk about. So if, if, if you love platinum so much, that you won't listen to anything else. Give me the thumbs down now and you can bounce <laughs> and you don't have to listen to the rest. You can still be justified knowing that, that you gave me a thumbs down. And then you can move on and we can both go on with our lives. Um, but first up, I do have an issue with a company this size using Kickstarter. A company like Platinum, in my opinion, has no problem getting publisher funding to make a game. The issue I have with Kickstarter, and this is something that people who don't like Kickstarter or people who like to complain about people who complain about Kickstarter, this is one thing they always throw in your face. You're not paying for a product. You're, you're not investing in a product. You're not getting any sort of guaranteed return on your product, according to these people. Technically, in the Kickstarter rules, they have to deliver to you what you pay for. But beyond that, that's what these are the argument people make when, say, a Kickstarter f- succeeds and then the product never comes out. You were, you, were, you were helping them to make the product. You weren't deserved anything, right? Like that, That's what you hear. That's, that's, what you're, that's what we're told by people who make fun of people that are upset that they backed a project on Kickstarter and didn't get their product. That's what the complaint is, is that, well, you're not actually paying for a product. You're, you're trying to support a project and you're not guaranteeing anything. That's what they say. So a company this size doesn't need us as the consumer to be their parachute, to be their safety net. I'm, I'm sick of being the safety net for companies. I'm sick and I, and I haven't bought one in, in almost a year. I'm very proud of myself. I don't do early access games anymore. I'm sick of them using my money and charging me to be their beta testers. I'm sick of companies this size using Kickstarter when they could go anywhere. You could go anywhere and get backed on this. Now, anywhere except Nintendo. Apparently, Nintendo had zero interest in publishing Wonderful 101 for the Switch. Okay. You can't go to 505 Games. You can't go to, 
I don't know anybody else. There's other and there's other publishers out there who who have agreements where you get to keep the IP to your game. Plenty of them out there. You couldn't go to I mean hell you could even go to Limited Run and have them do an open pre-order. You could I mean you could do whatever you could there's so many options out there to get this game made. But they go to Kickstarter because they don't want to deal with all the other nonsense. They don't want the responsibility of having to answer to a publisher, to answer to you know to shareholders, to answer to whoever gave them the money. Because on Kickstarter, you ultimately don't have to answer to the people who gave you the money. You don't have to answer to the fans. Now, most do, and most are good about it, and most bigger Kickstarters that are made by companies like this are fine. Most. Most. Not all. Um, Kickstarter, in my opinion, was always just a built originally for like a small indie team, a small project. They don't have any money, but they want to get a project off the ground. It's supposed to breed this cool new level of creativity. And now we're seeing huge companies use it. And you know what? It's fine. If a lot of people want to pledge their money and clearly have, look at this, the counter's still going up. 17,502 backers in, in less than a day or about a day, $1.1 million raised out of 49,000 goal. So obviously people want it and I don't care if they want to, but it's frustrating for me as a consumer to always be the one who, why do I put my money on the line for your game? You know, like, yes, I want to play it and, but that, that risk should come from you. And then it, it drives you to make a good product so that when it's done, I want to buy it. If you get all the money up front, what is the motivation to keep going? Is it the guilt of knowing that if you don't finish it, you have to answer to a bunch of people? that your reputation might be soiled, it's possible, and Platinum has a very good reputation. And you wouldn't want that soiled. But it's frustrating to me that we're always, why are we always the ones that have to eat the, 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 the risk, you know, as consumers? We're already risking it when we drop 60 bucks on a brand new game that we haven't played a demo for that just came out. But now I have to risk my, my money up front, and then I may not even get the chance to be disappointed. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy, right? Like I know I'm not the only one who thinks this though. So I'm looking down here and I'm looking at the backer pledges. $36 gets you a digital release remaster. Seems kind of high price, but okay. Uh, for about $41, you get a physical release of wonderful one one Um, for about $51, there's a, uh, uh, you get a digital soundtrack, digital release and digital comic. For 56 bucks, you get a physical release and a keychain. Anyway, so it goes all the way down. Let's see here. It goes all the way down. To, there, was, there were three levels of pledging that had seven. That could have a max of seven backers, and they're all gone already. $1,844, so 200,000 yen, $1,844 roughly. You get, <laughs> you get a digital comic, soundtrack, physical game, keychain, T-shirt, soundtrack, physical comic book, sticker set, wonderful pendant, a full CD soundtrack, and a replica, a Wonder Red replica jacket. Okay. Seven are gone already. Uh, then this one, uh, there's one where you get basically everything except the jacket. No, this one has the jacket, but some missing something else. I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So these these are crazy pledges. $1,000, 756 508 This one... This one was five. I don't know why this is out of order. Oh, because there's still left of this one. This is $5,000. You get a 12 inch figure. You get a 101 button in display case. A thank you mentioned in the art book. The wonderful 101 custom controllers. That's actually kind of cool. But I'm not. $5,000. 
$5,000. This one's $2,500. This one's $2,300. This one has no backers. Why? Nobody wanted that, I guess. I mean, look at this. This is mental. This is mental. And the game... This, this, this is what kind of makes me crazy, too. This is, a, this is an offset thing. But Wonder Phone 1 was fun. Go buy a Wii U and go buy the game. Why didn't you buy the game when it came out? Like It's like all these people are... like It's so weird watching the world react to something that they could have had already. And now they're willing to throw down 1.1 mil? I guarantee this game didn't sell enough copies to make a million dollars on the Wii U. Uh, Wii U's like 100 bucks. Go buy this game's like $10. Go buy them both. Or, or spend $5,000 to get a red jacket. Because if you love the game so much that you wanted to buy the main character's red jacket, I'm going to assume you played the game already? I mean, is that a safe assumption? Maybe? Probably not. I don't know. Who cares? Here's my other issue I have with it. Moving on from just the absurdity of it all. Here's the other issue I have. The initial goal was $49,000. Okay, two parts about this I don't like. One, there's no way in hell this game would get made for $49,000. Okay, so let's get that right. $49,000 uh, pays your lowest level employee for one year. <laughs> and most employees make six figures at a game development studio. So let's, let's, let's pretend that these small goals aren't just a joke. Like, what's the significance of that small goal? If you make the, here's the issue with Kickstarter. If you don't hit your goal, you don't get any of the money. As soon as you get over that goal, you'll get that money. So a lot of times a project that's going to cost millions of dollars will set their goal at 30, 40, 50,000. Because if they make, if they get $200,000 given to them, but they had set their goal at a million, they never would have got it. So they have to set the goal low so they can still get the funds and start working on the game. Okay. And they're not even going to get into the fact that this is a, a porting a Wii U game to the Switch and to PS4 and PC probably isn't that difficult. And again, I don't understand why it's 40 bucks, but that's totally fine if you like it. And I do like the game. That's the crazy thing. I'm I'm not trash-talking Platinum, and I'm not trash-talking Wonderful 101. I'm just saying like the absurdity of them doing a Kickstarter and raising $1.1 million for a game you can get for $10 used on the Wii U. And is it going to be much better than the Wii U version? Probably not. I mean, the portability on the Switch, sure okay <laughs> just weird so anyway um i don't like these goals and I, I don't like this when other kickstarters do this too you'll see this a lot with small projects They'll be like oh just a five thousand dollar goal and then like the game should be out in a year or two okay so you're gonna work for a year or two on this game for just five thousand dollars that's not gonna work that's not enough for you to live and work on this so the chances of you getting that back are so slim and so all this stuff is just mildly infuriating to me, but I hope they do well. I love platinum games. It's just, it reminds me of like the Shenmue Kickstarter where like, why did they have to go to that when they had Sony backing them with Sony money and they had, you know, and like they had other, other companies were willing to kick in money to get that project finished yet. They still went to Kickstarter. We still had to deal with all of that. Just like, again, they're putting the risk on us as consumers. We already take a risk when we buy their product, not knowing if we're going to like it. And so now we have to take the risk before they even give us the opportunity to buy a product. And I, I, I've never liked it, and I probably never will. And I've kickstarted plenty of things. I'm not against Kickstarter in general. But just, like, seeing this just kind of, I don't know. I, and and it's such, on such a weird game, it's almost like this game became memefied. You know, this game has always been pop. Like, this game has never been popular. No one really likes this game until all of a sudden it might be coming to Switch. Then everybody has to have it. Then there's clamoring for it, and then they do the Kickstarter, and it just sells gangbusters. It's just weird. It's so weird. You could have played this game for the last five or six years. Why'd you go get it? Because now it's on the Switch. It's cool now? I don't, I don't understand that, you know? 
But I'm glad it's coming to more systems. I'm glad it's coming to PC and PS4. More people who don't play Nintendo products will be able to play it. And Platinum might have more success. I just don't like how we ha are the ones who have to always take the risk. Why are we the safety net? I, that's what I don't like. So that's my that's my my rant there. And it went really quickly, I, I was like, you know, let's look up Platinum Games. A bunch of ex-Capcom people uh, who all used to work mostly at Clover. So that was the studio that did like God Hand and Okami and some like just like very good games at Capcom, but didn't sell necessarily very well. So games that games that uh, they wanted to make and they were good at making. And I love Platinum Games. I'm not kidding. Like Vanquish is awesome. Bayonetta is awesome. Uh, almost everything they touch is good. Near Automata. Fantastic. Like these are great games. You tell me Square Enix wouldn't publish Wonderful 101? After you made them a bajillion dollars with Near Automata? Come on. But I look at this, right? And I say, again, getting back to the $50,000 goal, look at Platinum. Platinum has 224 employees as of 2019. 224 employees. I mean, this, is, this isn't this is two two people in their home trying to make a game who need 50000 to work on it for a year to make it. It's 224 people at $50,000 doesn't even buy lunch for them all for the year. You know, it's crazy. I don't know. Hey, good luck, Platinum Games. I will be buying this game when it comes out physically in a store. Uh, I won't be backing. The, I just can't. I can't. I just, I don't like it, and I can't be a hypocrite and then back it after saying that. Even though backing a physical is only like $41. Estimated delivery, April 2020. Estimated delivery is two months of this game. So where's all, what's all the development cost of this? <laughs> what? So you're able to port this game in two months? That's what you're telling me? 2020, April 2020. Is this even possible? Is this a joke? And then this one, the phys see now, now looking further down, the estimated delivery for this one's November 2020. And that's the keychain, the physical release, the abridged soundtrack. Physical, but this physical with the keychain is April 2020. So what, what, what makes this come out in November? Is this like a, like, is this wrong? Is this a, like a mistake? I don't know. This looks weird. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not happy with this at all. I'm not a fan of that at all. But again, I know. And if you stuck with me this long and you love platinum and you're hating on me, thank you. I'm sorry. I just feel strongly about this sort of use of Kickstarter as a company. I love me some platinum games, man. Come on. You know, you know, I love it. All right, and that's it for stories for the day. So I have my game of the week here. I have my pickup pile of the week. And then we're out, everybody. And that's another one in the books. So first up, my game of the week. We're sticking on the PS1 train. Uh, is a game called Fighting Force. So if you've not played it, Fighting Force is uh, was published by IDOS, so like the Tomb Raider makers. It included a Tomb Raider 3 demo on the disc. Little little tidbit. Uh, it was done by Core, which was like the Tomb Raider team. And Fighting Force was essentially... It was it was Core's take on trying to bring the classic arcade beat em ups into 3D. So take your games like Streets of Rage, Final Fight, and then imagine them as a full run around 3D game. And arguably, the game's not great. You know, I think it's a fun beat em up. It's got that very. It feels a lot like Die Hard Arcade if you ever played that, or or a Dynamite Decca as it was known in Japan, or Dynamite Cop as we got on the Dreamcast. This game is kind of similar to that. Like you run around, you pick up trash cans and you beat people. Um, if you ever played power stone, you know, it kind of runs around like that, except there's levels you go through, you fight low level dudes. Then you fight bosses. You can break phone booths. You can pick up garbage cans. Like it, it feels like someone took streets of rage or final fight and then turned it into a 3d game. That was, that was basically the mission statement. I'd be surprised if I ever saw an internal document about this game and it didn't straight up say this is final fight in 3d. 
Um, there's four playable characters. The PS1 version, which is what I own, is only two players, which is unfortunate. The N64 version is actually four players, so you could argue it's better, except the N64 textures look like someone smeared mud on your TV. Um, the PS1's a little sharper, a little nicer. Sound quality is a little better on the PS1. So I choose PlayStation 1. Um, but it's it's fun, though. It's a, it's a fun little beat-em-up, so it's a fun little romp. You know, pick it up, play with a friend. Fighting Force on the PlayStation 1. Check it out. All right, and then on to our pickup pile of the week. I have four games. As I said, pathetic four games. I'm getting... So I'm really into, obviously, the weird and obscure stuff. But what one thing I've been really into lately is there's a, there's a company... There's a few companies out there making new Dreamcast games. <laughs> and then they physically sell them on, like, PlayAsia's website. And now a lot of times I look at these games, I'm like, I don't really care for this. Except that... A lot of the times they're games that are official games that never came out here or, uh, you know, or something like that. Um, but then they were also on sale. Like PlayAsia had them on sale. So that's really why I bought them. So the first one up is a game called Finding Teddy. And it's like a pixel art side scroller. Um, the description is a little girl was, was sleeping peacefully with her teddy bear when suddenly a monster popped out of her cupboard and stole her favorite plush. And so you go on this adventure to find your teddy bear. But it's like a side scrolling platformer with cute pixel graphics is really neat. It's like a really, really kind of charming looking game. Uh, again, I haven't played it, but you know, I don't play a lot of the stuff that I buy. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, and then I picked up a copy of the game called the escapee, not the escape, the escapee. Uh, this is the description on the box. Maybe they thought I was dead and they threw me out like a rag doll in the middle of dirt, waste and litter. I was an escapee. Was I the only one? Uh, it looks kind of like flashback. looks a lot like flashback. Um, so out of this world flashback, same kind of idea. Um, and the person who makes a lot of these or ports, a lot of these is, uh, it's called like Josh prod. Uh, so he must be a really like, I think he's the one who does like the getting it on the dreamcast. Like I think people bring their games to him and they're like, Hey man, can you get this work on the dreamcast? He's like, I got you dog. And then he hooks him up. Uh, next up is a PS3 RPG. It's a action RPG called lost dimension. I've never actually played this before, but it's a late life PS3 game came out in 2015 which is really late for ps3 obviously the ps4 had already been out for a couple years and uh, in 2015 the playstation 3 had been out for nine years at that point so it's a really late life game and it's an action rpg so you run around and it's like real time looks good i want to play it i'm on an rpg kick as you all know so i've been i've been trying to scoop up the obscure stuff that i haven't been seeing as often like that um it was about 20 bucks for a physical copy no big deal and then this one, I'm actually really excited about this one. So there was a game. So to start this off, on the PS3, I used to, one thing I used to do on the PS3 when there weren't a ton of games to play, I would dabble on the Japanese store. So I would, I would log into the Japanese PlayStation account and download uh, demos of games that we didn't get. And there was a demo of a game I downloaded called End of Eternity. And fantastic game. Um, it's, it's like an action RPG well, I'm forgetting what the name of the U.S. version is called. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. So it's called End of Eternity. And I play this demo, like, this is really sweet. So imagine an, an RPG, but when you're when you're in combat, you actually are, like, you pick a line, your character starts running on that line. This is all 3D, like, think third person. It looks like a Resident Evil game. Your character starts running, and then you have so many action points to be able to, like, jump and do John Woo-style gun tricks and stuff. It's really neat really cool it's got this really weird world overworld map though where like you have to beat enemies that give you these 
pieces that look like Tetris pieces, and then you have to use those to unlock the mini-map like, so you can walk on it. Very weird. Very weird. Un- uh, unconventional, but fun. So I played that demo, enjoyed it. Find out they're bringing the game to the United States under the new title called Resonance of Fate. So for PlayStation 3, I buy the full version of Resonance of Fate. I find the game fantastic. I finish it, and that was in an era where I wasn't finishing a lot of games, especially RPGs. I didn't have the time. I was playing a lot of World of Warcraft. I was playing other stuff that took my time away. I beat that game. I liked it quite a bit. So then they decided to bring Residents of Fate Digital to the PS4 in the United States. Very cool if you like to collect digital games, which I don't. (laughs) So, uh, However, in uh, Asia, they released an English and Chinese version of End of Eternity, the 4K edition. So I have a physical copy. It finally came in. My physical copy of End of Eternity or Resonance of Fate, but the PS4 4K version. So very cool. Very happy with that. It was funny because I saw it on Play Asia as part of these other ones I was buying, and it was like new for 40 bucks. My God, it's kind of pricey. And I looked on eBay, and they were going for 50 to 60 all day. And I was like, oh, boy, I better pick this up now before it sells out at Play Asia, and then I'm hunting this thing down for 70, 80, 90 bucks later. So, so I ended up getting that. And I'm pretty happy, pretty happy with that. And that's it for the podcast today, everybody. That's it. That was a quick, uh, that was a quick hour. So we're out. Um, next week, I think is business as usual. I think yeah, I'm working a long week again. This one I'm working like Thursday through Tuesday, but, uh, I should be back, uh, Thursday till Tuesday, but I should be back for the podcast next week. Of course, uh, no, no, no weird 15 seconds to apologize for next week. I don't think, um, And yeah, just business as usual, you know? So I hope everyone has a great day. Hope everyone has a great week. Take care of yourselves out there. And you know what? Take care of each other. Have a good one. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.